At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. Good morning. My name is Abraham Phillip. I'm part of the teaching team here at Woodside. Pastor Chris is away investing time with his family and has asked me to step in and and speak. Have you ever gotten ready for anything big in your life? I remember just before the birth of our firstborn, we had our crib assembled. We had that bassinet and our, 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 the different pieces of furniture all assembled. In our drawer, we had baby clothes and, and baby blankets and baby wipes. You, you know, you can never have enough wipes, right? Like you go through them like every minute. <clears throat> and in a corner of the closet, we had diapers and wipes. And, and we thought we were ready. We had one of those mobiles, right? That you put over the crib with Winnie the Pooh and, and all, all his friends. And, and we thought we were ready. We had a bag. And in that bag was a, a pair of clothes, um, a book. We had a baby blanket and, and clothes for the baby. We had some snacks and, and some other odds and ends, including a book. Because when the baby comes, the baby, you don't know? When the baby comes, the baby comes. There's no stopping the baby. You have to be ready. So we had that bag packed and ready weeks before the due date because we didn't know. We were ready. Whenever the baby decided to come, we had the bag ready. We would rush to the hospital. You know, there's a lot of things in this world we get ready for, isn't there? Lots of things that we live in anticipation for. We're eager for things that we want to have happen in our lives and that we plan for, we get ready for, we anticipate. A lot of those things are good things. But may I ask you this morning, How many of us have gotten ready for the return of Jesus? When was the last time, aside from this message series, of course, when was the last time that our minds went to heaven, that we lived in anticipation, and we got our lives ready for the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth? Church, you know he's coming, right? Amen. Are you ready? Over the last several weeks, we have been in a series called New Beginnings, All Things New. We've been studying the last four chapters of the book of Revelation. By the way, good time, perhaps, to turn to Revelation chapter 22. And we've seen John, the apostle on the Isle of Patmos, receive wonderful visions, beautiful descriptions of things that are happening. We've seen how the story ends. And it's been marvelous, hasn't it? We've seen how Jesus defeats sin, death, and the devil. We've seen a new new heaven and a new earth come as a result. We've seen the new Jerusalem, this holy city descending from heaven. You remember, that's the bride of Christ, which is speaking about the church. We've seen how that church is beautifully arrayed, adorned with jewels and gold, and that we are part of that city. And last week we ended with, and we will see him face to face, amen? And we will reign with him forever and ever. 
That would have been a great place to conclude the book of Revelation. Don't you agree? But we have 16 more verses that the Apostle John writes. It's an epilogue. He adds an epilogue because most of us are going to miss the main point of the book of Revelation. Do you know what the main book of, point of the book of Revelation is? It's Jesus. We get so caught up in understanding the end times and predicting dates and trying to figure out how everything fits, but we missed the point that the book of Revelation is really about Jesus. It's about worship of Jesus. It's about not getting distracted by everything around us. It's about not being tempted by the institutions and the wealth and all of the other things that are around us. It's to hold on to Jesus no matter how hard life gets, no matter how much persecution no matter how much suffering, hold on to Jesus because he is worthy. He's the soon coming king. Hold on just a little longer to your faith because Jesus will crack that sky and he will come to take us home. That's the point of Revelation. And so as we come to these last 16 verses, Jesus who is the victor, Jesus who is going to come to set all things right, Jesus, who has promised, who will come, will indeed come just as he said. And John gets all of these visions, hears all of these magnificent things to fuel him and to fuel our motivation to continue to live for his glory, full of faith, so that the world might know that Jesus is alive. And so today, as we come to the last few verses of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, these last 16 verses that John writes as an epilogue to all of these visions, what he's going to leave with us is a challenge. The challenge is that we must live in anticipation of Jesus' return. That we must live in anticipation of Jesus' return. I want to share with you three things that we should do in our lives to be ready, to stay ready as we live in anticipation of the return of Christ. Three things. The first is that we must keep God's word. We must keep God's word. I'm in Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse number six. And he, that is Jesus, said to me, me being John, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. As you look and read through the book of Revelation, you will find that there are seven beatitudes in this book. The last two are in these 16 verses. Beatitude or blessing number six is actually in verse number seven, 
And it pronounces a blessing on those who keep the words of, the, of this prophecy of this book. The word keep means to guard, to protect, to observe. In this context, it means to obey, to live in obedience. Why should we keep the words of this book? Because in verse number six, you find Jesus says that these words are trustworthy and true. Why are they trustworthy and true? Because the one who spoke it is trustworthy and true. And who is the one who spoke these words to John? It's Jesus. We know that Jesus is trustworthy and true. Everything that Jesus has ever said has been true. Everything that Jesus has ever predicted has come to pass. Everything that Jesus has ever promised has come and has continued to stay fulfilled. Everything that has come out of the mouth of Jesus, we can trust and depend on. And because these words are the words of Jesus, these words are trustworthy and true. But not only that, we can keep these words because these words are from the same God who gave words to the prophets of the Old Testament. You know that over and over again in the pages of the Old Testament, God would speak to his prophets and they would predict things that would come years, decades, centuries later. And they would happen just as those prophets predicted. Elijah, you remember the prophet Elijah, he went to evil King Ahab and said, it won't rain for three years. And guess what happened? It didn't rain for three years. Isaiah prophesied that if the nation of Israel didn't shape up, doom was coming. And it happened just as he said. Jeremiah predicted that the exile would last for 70 years. And that's exactly what happened. Daniel was shown the rise and the fall of Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, years before those nations had come. And it happened just as it was shown to Daniel. Over and over again, the prophets of the Old Testament predicted by the Spirit of God working in their lives, they wrote it down and it happened just as they had predicted. And they, just as they were given words, these words are given to us. These words are trustworthy and true because it's the same Spirit working through the same prophets who have written these words down for us. Jesus giving it to the angel who has given it to John who is on the Isle of Patmos wrote it down. These words are trustworthy and true. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm Jesus Christ. I approve this message. That's essentially what he's saying. We can bank on it. We can trust it because Jesus said those words. Even the angel who is the intermediary between Jesus and John validates this message. John gets so overcome by what he's seen, gets so overcome by what he heard, he wants to worship, and so he falls down and he worships the angel, and the angel says, stop, don't worship me. I'm just a servant. Don't worship created things. Worship God. And that's a good reminder, isn't it? That we shouldn't be caught up in the messenger. We shouldn't be caught up in all the things that are around us. We should make sure that we aren't worshiping the, the temptations that this world has to offer. We should worship God alone. Amen? That he alone is worthy of our worship and our praise. In verse number 10, John is told to not seal up the words of the book of this prophecy. 
That's a complete opposite command, a counterpoint to what was told to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel, when God had given prophecy to Daniel, was told to write and seal up these words because the time was not at hand. But something's different here, isn't it? Here, John is told to not seal up the words because the time is near. The time is at hand. God is about to bring the full culmination of history to a close. So don't seal up the words of this book. And as a result, you and I are called to live in obedience. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. There's a blessing for obedience. You see, obedience is a necessary outflow of our salvation. Theologically speaking, sanctification flows out of justification. That's a fancy way of saying that what we do flows out of who we are. In other words, the things that we do, the good works that we produce, happen as a result of having been convicted by the very same spirit that lives within us, having received the free gift of salvation found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and as a result of that salvation, we are encouraged and prompted and compelled to do good works Good works that are living in obedience to the words of this book. Blessed are those who live in obedience to the words of this prophecy. Because we are saved by grace through faith. We, in our love for God, live in obedience to what God has said. Amen? Blessed are those who live in obedience. But here's the problem. We live in a world full of distraction. Full of danger. We're tempted to think that perhaps if we give up our faithfulness to Jesus, we'll get that promotion. We're tempted to think that perhaps there is something about having it all. We're tempted to think that perhaps there is something to having power and possessions and wealth. Friends, can I just remind you, this world is passing away. That the, this world can never deliver on any of its promises. This world will be here today and gone tomorrow. And that's why God says, don't focus on this world. Don't focus on the temptations that are all around you. Don't give in to the temptations that this world has to offer. Because you'll never be satisfied by what this world offers. Be satisfied in God. Because he is the coming king who has never failed. Who has never given up. Who will never quit. He's always by your side. He is faithful and true. Amen? That's why we live. Amen? That's why we live in obedience to his word. To live in anticipation of Jesus' return. We keep his word. But secondly, we wash our robes. Notice verse number 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You read that phrase, behold, I'm coming soon, and you're like, what soon? If we're going out and I tell my children, it's time to go, and they say, I'm ready, I just need to change and do my hair. And I'll be down soon. Right. That means I have time for a snack. To heat it up. 
to eat it, to clean up, and still be ready before they come downstairs. Soon. Is that what soon means? No. How are we to understand the word soon? There's a sense in which Jesus has come in local and expressed ways already. Let me explain that. In, the, in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, he writes to the seven churches. You've read those, haven't you? In each, time, each time he writes to those churches, <clears throat> he says, repent, change your ways. If you don't, do you know what he says? I will come to you in judgment and I will remove your candlestick. So there's a sense in which if we don't shape up, if we don't repent, God can come, Jesus can come in judgment. Anytime we hear the calling of God in our lives, remember Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door and let me in, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Remember that verse? Every time the Spirit of God convicts you. Every time you feel the tug of the Spirit of God in your heart, Jesus has come to you in local and expressed ways. In fact, throughout the book of Revelation, we find Jesus coming to protect, to comfort, to judge, and to conquer. All of these kinds of comings are local expressed ways. But friends, there's an ultimate coming. There is a coming at the end of time, a time when time will end. When the trumpet of the Lord will sound and Jesus will pierce the midnight sky. And he will come visibly and physically. And on that day, there won't be any more death. There won't be any more tears. There won't be any more sorrow. On that day, all of our faith will be made sight when we see him face to face. On that day, he will come back physically, visibly, for us to reign with him forever and ever. Amen? Amen. How many of you are ready? Amen. Oh, God bless you. The rest of you might need to talk to them about getting ready, but I'll leave it to you. That day is coming, and it's coming soon. The word soon means imminent. It means it could happen in the next two minutes. It could happen before I sit down. It could happen while you're in the parking lot. It could happen while you're having lunch. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen next week. It can happen next month. It can happen next year. The point is he can come back at any moment, at any time. His coming is imminent. And that's why John writes, be ready. Live in obedience. So that you can live in anticipation. But notice... As John writes these words, Jesus is not coming back empty-handed. He says he's coming back with rewards in his hand. Rewards for the good works that you and I have done. I want you to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul says on that final day when we stand before God, God will take all of our good works that we have done and he will pass them through the fire. And only those things that we've done for Christ and only those things that we've done with the right motive, only those things that we've done in the power of the Spirit, only those things will last. So how are we doing? Will we have anything to show at the end when God passes our good works through the fire? 
Those things that are left after the fire, those things are the things that Jesus will reward us for. And in verse number 13, Jesus identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. These are words or titles that God the Father uses for himself in the Old Testament. Jesus, throughout the book of Revelation, uses those same titles for himself, indicating that he is God as well. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the A and the Z and every letter in between. He is the beginning and the end. By the way, when Jesus says he is the beginning, it doesn't mean that he's the first in a series or first in a succession. It means that he is the source of all things. He's the one from whom all things flow. Daryl Johnson writes it this way. He says that this is a radical claim. Everything has its source in Jesus Christ. Everything finds its pattern, its way of being in Jesus Christ. Everything in the universe is stamped with the character of Jesus Christ. Every person on this planet owes her or his existence to Jesus Christ and finds his or her pattern for living in Jesus. Jesus is the source of all things. Not only is he the source, he is the end. Meaning he is the purpose for which all has been created. One theologian put it this way, that Jesus is the inherent destiny of all creation. Jesus is not only the one who created you through whom you came, but he is the one to whom you are going. He is the one before whom you will stand, the judge who will take a measurement of you. Jesus is the one we've been made for, which is why the imminent return of Jesus Christ is the epicenter of our hope. He is the beginning and he is the end. Amen? And then John goes on to write, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. In verse 14, we find the last or the seventh beatitude. It's a blessing for those who wash their robes. Now, that doesn't mean that we have laundry to do in heaven. What it's talking about is the cleansing system of Scripture. See, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there is no one righteous, no, not one. That all of our works is like filthy rags. That none of us can approach a holy God on our own. Because none of us are holy enough. None of us are worthy enough. And yet God loves us. And God doesn't want to leave us in this condition. And the Bible says in in Isaiah chapter 1, God says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be made white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become wool. God invites us to come. To take part in the blood of Jesus. To have our sins forgiven. To have our robes washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what washing our robes mean. It's not something we do. It's something he does on our behalf for us when we come to him. 
That Jesus who died for us, Jesus who shed his blood, every last drop of it, his blood is sufficient to wash away all our sins. We know an old hymn that says, what can wash away our sins? What's the answer to that? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not talking about doing laundry. It's talking about you and me coming to the fountain of life, the fountain of blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, the fountain of blood that is sufficient to wash any sin, every sin out, no matter how terrible, no matter how horrible, that blood that can cleanse any sinner of any sin that can make us white as snow. Have you received that forgiveness of sin? Have you washed your robes in the blood of Jesus? If not, I pray that you do so today. That you would come to the feet of Jesus. That you would ask God for his forgiveness. That you would wash your robes in the blood that makes us white as snow. As we live in anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ, let's continue to remain obedient Let's have our robes washed in the blood of Jesus. But thirdly, let's come to Jesus. Verse number 16, John continues to write, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. These final verses gives us two invitations. Two invitations, and they're both in present tense, which means that these invitations apply to us today. The first invitation is from the Spirit and the Bride. The Spirit says, come. The Spirit, of course, talking about the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. That third person of the Trinity, the Spirit says, come. Every one of us who has accepted Jesus Christ by faith heard the whisper of the Spirit in our lives. It occurred in a million different ways, in various times in our life, where we heard that still small voice of the Spirit convicting us of our sins, convincing us of who Jesus is, that still small voice that said to us, come. Come to Jesus. Come to the one who has the answer for the sins in your life. Come. The Spirit says come. But not only the Spirit, but the bride says come. Remember who the bride is? The bride is who, church? It's, the, it's us. It's the church. It's corporately. We who are empowered by the Spirit of God, we are also to offer the invitation to come. That's why we support missions. That's why we send missionaries. That's why we support Pastor Kim. That's why we send short-term missions. That's why we have a Global 100. Why? Corporately, we are told to, to give the same invitation to the entire world. Come. Don't miss out. Come to the fountain that can wash your sins. Come. You're invited. The Spirit and the bride say come. But secondly, notice, let the one who hears also say come. So the spirit and the bride were the corporate invitations. But here, this is an invitation 
to the individual, to you and to me individually. You and I individually are to also go into our worlds, to go into our spheres of influence, and to provide the same invitation, come. Come to church with me. Come to Woodside. Come hear the Bible opened and the gospel presented. Come see what God has done. Come see what God is doing. Our job as individuals within the corporate body is to say, come. Come. The bride and the spirit say, come. Individually, we say, come. Notice that this invitation is for those who are thirsty to come and drink from the water of life. You know, whenever the Bible talks about being thirsty, it's a metaphor for having that deep-seated longing that can only be satisfied by God. And the way we are satisfied is when we receive him. And metaphorically, that's in this, these verses, us drinking from the water of life. Now, if you're out and about, for a bottle of water, you'd pay what? $3, give or take? If there's some electrolytes mixed into it, you'd pay about $5, right? If you're on a short-term mission trip in Liberia, sorry, Pastor Kim, I'm picking on you, or you're in a third world country and you're thirsty, how much would you pay for a bottle of clean water? Whatever they ask for, right? How much would you pay for this water? Nothing. It's free. It's free for anyone to come and to drink because the price for this water, which is priceless, has been paid by the very life of Jesus. He shed every last drop of blood on that cross 2,000 years ago so that anyone can come, everyone can come from every tribe and nation and tongue and people. And we can come. And we can drink freely of the water of life because Jesus paid it all. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so can I ask, have you drunk from the water of life? Have you satisfied that deep longing? But you might be thinking, but I don't understand it all. I have a million questions. That's okay. It doesn't say those who understand can come and drink. It says all who desires can come and drink. But you may be saying, but, but I'm a mess. I've got so many sins. I haven't cleaned up my life. That's okay. It doesn't say only those who've got it all together can come. It says all who desires the forgiveness of sins can come. Come, drink of the waters of life and live. Verse number 18, John writes, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. The book of Revelation closes with a warning. Many people have interpreted this, these verses many different ways. But let me give you my take. In short, what John is saying is, don't tamper don't distort and don't dilute the word of God. <clears throat> just because we don't understand something and just because some things make us uneasy, that does not give us the license to modify or water down or change the word of God to fit our lifestyle or to fit our culture. As one theologian put it, he said the Bible has to be the bedrock on how our lives, our homes, and our nation is built. 
If we stray from it, we do so at our own peril. We do not conform the word of God to culture. We conform culture to the word of God. Amen? That's what this warning is about. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Teach it. Preach it. Study it. Submit to it. All of it. Because it's all the word of God. Now we come to the last two verses of the last chapter of the last book. Verse number 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The Bible ends with a promise and a reminder. The promise, surely I am coming soon. And John explodes with, amen, come Lord Jesus. You know, that's an Aramaic expression, Maranatha. Can you say it with me? Maranatha. It means even so, come Lord Jesus. So when we hear someone say, the Lord is coming soon, we say, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. That's the promise. The reminder, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Friends, it's all about the grace. Isn't it interesting how the Bible ends with grace? We don't deserve it. None of us can approach God without it. None of us can be part of God's family without it. But thanks be to God for his grace. Amen? It's the grace of God that brings us into the family of God that makes us children of God by the power of the word of God through the power of the Spirit of God. Have you received the grace of God? If not, won't you come today? It starts by confessing our sins, saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I repent of them, and I come to you. Would you save me? Would you come into my life? Would you be the Lord and Savior of my life? And when you do that, Jesus gives you forgiveness. He washes your sins, and he gives you access to the water of life so that you can drink and you can live forever. You can have the hope that when he comes, you will reign with him forever and ever. Amen? If that's you today and you don't know Jesus Christ, won't you come to know him by faith today? I'll be in the back. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to introduce Jesus to you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's live in anticipation of his return. Let's live in obedience to his word, all of it. Let's have our robes washed in the blood of Jesus and let's invite people to come. So many people who don't know Jesus Christ. You don't have to go to Liberia, although Pastor Kim would appreciate it. And if God is leading you to do that, please talk to him. Go. But your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, they don't know Jesus. And that day of his return is soon. Be ready. May your family and your friends, your neighbors and your co-workers, may they be ready. Invite them to come. And we continue to live on mission, calling people to come until all have heard, until Christ returns. Maranatha. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are the soon coming king. That one day when you come, you will make all things right. You will make all things good. Sin will finally no longer have its power over us. 
You will have defeated it. You will have defeated death and grave and everything else. And we will see you face to face and we will reign with you forever. On that day, our faith will be made sight. Oh Lord, what a day that will be when Jesus we shall see. But until then, would you help us to live in obedience to you? Continuing to call all around us to come to be part of this family, a family that enjoys the forgiveness of sins, the richness of being part of the family of God. And may we continue to do that till all have heard, till Christ returns. And it's in his matchless, wonderful name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.